been out on the road Waiting for new episodes We've been thinking of you And just what you need Oh yeah Now that's the show Underway I guess we can call it a day You're all ready for The Bowfinger Show Welcome back to the Bowfinger Minute Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1999 Frank Oz-directed comedy Bowfinger, one minute of screen time per episode. I'm Professor Robert E.G. Black, host of, among other Movies by Minutes podcasts, Michael Myers Minute, Dave Made a Minute, and The Room Minute. But you're here for more Bowfinger. We're in Minute 87, which begins with Dave, Bowfinger, and Carol taking their not-so-great seats at the premiere of Chubby Rain and ends with Kit and Daisy watching from their much better seats. Backtrack slightly to our slug line from the second draft of Bowfinger's Big Thing. Interior. Night. Theater. Our merry band enter the theater. It's packed with people. A publicist grabs Bowfinger's ticket and marches the five of them down to the front row on the far left. Then we get Bowfinger's line to Dave we get in the film. Bowfinger. Always with a positive attitude. Not bad seats. Not bad seats at all. The lights start to dim, the crowd quiets, and we hear the music begin. We move in tight on Bowfinger's face. He is beaming. Slow dissolve to interior, day, Bowfinger's apartment. The film doesn't skip to the next day, though. Instead, we get a shot of Carol and Dave looking up at the screen, Bowfinger between them checking out the premiere flyer. Some of these flyer props have ended up online, but I cannot find a particularly clear photo of the back with all of the production credits for Chubby Rain. But judging by a not-so-clear image on iCollector.com, there are some interesting details. While this prop and the smaller card that Afrim was holding last minute would have been designed by the same people behind the scenes, there are some inconsistencies. Notably, the production logos were ordered as Bowfinger International, Mindhead, Universal on the smaller card, but here are Mindhead, Universal, Bowfinger International. This kind of order should be contractual and the same on each handout, I would expect. On the smaller card, Carol's last name is Smith. On the flyer, it looks like something closer to Malone. On the smaller card, Afram's last name is Hogan. On the flyer, it's something at least twice as long. Freddy is credited simply as Freddy, as character and in the cast list. Betsy the dog gets a credit among the cast, even though we don't know in what context she would be seen in Chubby Rain. Jif gets credits for associate producer, production sound mixer, boom operator, stand-in for Mr. Ramsey, and stunt performer. The second and third of three columns of credits is Mindhead Staff, listed by levels, not titles. Terry Stricter is the only level one. Kit is the first of five level twos. Songs from Chubby Rain include Alien Love, Drip Drop Drip, Love Theme from Chubby Rain, and And the Rain Came. Further details from the smaller card, because I was curious how much of these names are just crew from the larger film. Sure enough, 
Richard Corey, whose credit seems to be costumes designed by, actually worked as a special effects technician. Craig Fairman, who's credited with sound by, actually worked as a transportation coordinator. Michelle Pinelli Venitas, who's credited as director of photography, actually worked as first assistant director. Susan Burrig and Brian K. Bilson, who are credited as executive producers, actually worked as graphic designer and assistant props, respectively. Marty Bolger, credited as producer, worked as a sound mixer. We are inside the auditorium at the Fox Theater, a.k.a. the Regency Village Theater, 961 Broxton Avenue, Westwood. Designed by Percy Park Lewis, built in 1930, opened August 14, 1931 with the film Politics, directed by Charles Reisner, screenplay by Wells Root and Robert E. Hopkins, story by Zelda Sears and Malcolm Stuart Boylan, and starring Marie Dressler, Polly Moran, and Roscoe Ates. According to cinematreasures.org, quote, it is designed in a Spanish mission-style decoration, similar to the Cathay Circle Theater, Fox Arlington Theater, Fox Florence Theater. It was built for the Jans Corporation and was later taken over by Fox West Coast Theater's chain. A feature of the building is the huge wedding cake tower, which is still virtually unchanged today, and still sports its original neon lighting. Seating in the auditorium was provided for 1489 in orchestra and balcony levels, the backstage areas, including dressing rooms and storage areas, were bricked off in the 1940s after damage, although what kind of damage is not stated in any current sources. The Village Theater was remodeled and reopened on October 18, 1951, increasing the seating capacity to 1535, and given a scurrus look when plaster gold swirls were added to the side walls near the stage area, along with upgrades for the exits, lobby, and new seats and carpet were also added. The last remodel was around 1998-99, when the Village Theater got new seats and carpet, and now seats 1,341 people. After more than 70 years as a first-run movie palace, the Village Theater is still one of the sites for Hollywood's biggest movie premieres. Regency Theaters replaced Man Theaters as the movie operator on April 1st, 2010. Quote. Note, in 2010, Regency saved the Fox and the smaller Bruin across the street from closure. The lights dim. Applause. Bowfinger looks up. Chubby rain begins. And we get a montage through this minute into the next, on the screen, which we see over the heads of the audience. The film begins with Kit playing tennis, one of the random shots Bowfinger's Mexican crew got. Bad form. The filmmaking, not the tennis. Well, maybe the tennis, I don't know. But the editing is not good. Not even a second of footage and then freeze frame for Kit Ramsey in block letters on the screen. Black letters, white outline, and a green flow around. Cheesy, basic. But also, unless Keith Kincaid is a tennis player, this is a weird choice to open the film, even if it was a shot they had available. Cut to black on the screen, and one of those raindrops with Kit's face in it falls from the top of the screen, like the Imagine Entertainment logo we got at the beginning of the film proper. It lands with a splash at the bottom of the screen, and that splash turns into the title, Chubby Rain. The latter word drips with raindrops. Angle on Carol and Bowfinger and Dave still clapping and cheering, but quietly. We hear Bowfinger reading voiceover that is eerily reminiscent of the kind of voiceover Ed Wood would use to suggest plot details that didn't exist in dialogue. Bowfinger, voiceover. <laughs> 
CIA operative. Back to the screen. Over the heads of the audience, Jerry Renfro's borrowed 53 Buick Roadmaster Skylark shot surreptitiously from inside Club Jump Blue. The car passes a place called Born to Shop, which is 322 Pine Avenue in Long Beach, California. We're looking east. The car is headed north. Todd Delmonico drove his 53 Buick to meet Keith Kincaid. Reaction shot in the crowd. Robert Downey Jr. as Jerry Renfro, definitely recognizing his own car. Slater as Delmonico, off-screen. Kincaid! Carolyn Bowfinger and Dave watching. Camera pushes in on Bowfinger. Bowfinger, voiceover. It had rained that day, but was it normal rain, or was it chubby rain? Kit, off-screen. Freddy! Slater, as Delmonico, off-screen. You heard me there, Kincaid. Bowfinger blinks once, as if confirming this is real. Kit, off screen. Freddy! Dissolve to the screen over the heads of the crowd. Carol's hand coming around a parking lot pillar. Reaction shot. Carol, awed. Dissolve to screen over crowd. Slater as Delmonico. We're looking west across Pine Avenue now. Across the way is 333 Pine. A couple things. One, the film opens with a CIA operative coming after a tennis player? who has plutonium. That's weird, but not out of line for low-budget guerrilla filmmaking. But what is out of line is somehow Keith just played tennis. I guess at a club, since he's not at his mansion. He must have showered and changed before exiting, but for some reason exited through the parking lot in order to be chased by Carol's character, who I think is called Cynthia on the larger premiere prop card, which feels like a different plotline than the CIA thing and a different plotline than the alien thing. So I look at the script again. Because we know very little about the whole story of Chubby Rain from what we see in the film. So, what was it supposed to be? Page one of the second draft of Bowfinger's Big Thing, Bowfinger explains what Aphram has written. Bowfinger, this masterpiece. This script that is so filled with humanity, love, joy, sadness, grief, and joy and sadness. It's still a love story. But now it has aliens in it. And a fabulous title, Star Wars. Which, of course, will have to be changed since there's already a movie called Star Wars. Aphrom, you'll put on your thinking cap for a new title. In the script, they don't have the title Chubby Rain until page 94, as they're watching the extra random footage of Kit. Page 25, Aphrom re-explains the story to Bowfinger. Aphrom, okay, here's the story. Cop, that's Kit. Trouble at home, that's Daisy. Love each other, but going through a problem. Kit has spurned older lover. That's Carol. She can't let go. Then it rains in Montana, but in the raindrops are aliens who take human form. Human aliens mistake Kit for a guy with plutonium who can get them back home. Big car chase. Kit wins. Captures the aliens when he says, Gotcha, suckers! And saves the world. Then gets back with his wife, who we think might have become an alien. The end. So... Keith is a cop who lives in a mansion. Daisy plays his current love interest, who can also fight off CIA operatives and doesn't hesitate to shoot them in the opening scene. Carol is the spurned lover, so if she's spurned, is she the wife who might be an alien? Is she already an alien? Or is she stalking Keith in the parking lot at the tennis club because of the spurned lover thing only? Then I remember the 3x5 cards. I find them again about the 22-minute mark. 
Bowfinger explains to Dave how they're going to make their movie with Kit. Bowfinger. There are six major scenes with Kit. The one's in red. He's not in any of the other scenes. The cards. Presumably in order. Kit forgets briefcase. That's the first one they film outside the gate of Kit's mansion, and it is not the start of the movie. CIA alerted. Sounds boring. Kit stalked in parking lot which means Carol slash Cynthia is not an alien, just a spurned lover stalking her cop ex. Pod people take over City Hall. This sounds convoluted and difficult to film, unless they just double some basic building at City Hall, like the front of the auditorium at the high school a couple blocks from where I live, that could totally look like a courthouse steps if you had the right extras and costumes. Aliens find Cynthia. Simple enough, and confirm she is not an alien yet in the parking lot stalking scene. Kit sees Slater shot, which I assume is this scene where Daisy kicks the gun out of Slater's hand and then shoots him, which Keith identifies him as the dead guy during the car chase, so he's been replaced by an alien, who then Daisy is tempted to kiss sometime later based on the scene in her audition. Slater drives Fancy Car to FBI. Bowfinger thinks Fancy Car's in his movie implied production value, which, yeah, sort of. Fist fight with Alien. This one isn't red, so who has a fist fight with an alien? Kit runs from Carol in Restaurant, which we see that one filmed. More story details, we learn that Keith left Phoenix, but not because he didn't want to raise soybeans, but because he wanted Cynthia and it burned inside him, or so Cynthia thinks. So is Keith a cop or a soybean farmer? ¿Por qué no los dos? Slater turns in his badge. Wait, why? By then isn't he an alien anyway? Why bother with the formality of quitting? And then there's at least four more cards we can't really see. One of those is red. Should be the car chase, because the sixth kit scene would be the ending at the Griffith Observatory. So, Keith Kincaid, who might be a cop and who definitely used to raise soybeans in Phoenix, has come to Los Angeles from Wyoming, though the chubby rain was in Montana. He may or may not have plutonium. Cynthia, who he may or may not have spurned in Phoenix, has come to Los Angeles as well, is stalking Keith, but may or may not be replaced by an alien. Meanwhile, the CIA and maybe the FBI are after Kincaid. Or after the aliens. Or both. But fortunately, Keith's current love interest has some fighting skills, if she can refrain from being too tempted by the CIA agent she killed, only for him to be replaced by an alien from the star system Neon. Together, they must get to an alien antenna before the summer solstice. I want to explain. What's there to explain? But I just want Look. to say that... I'm not the first guy who fell in love with a girl he met in a restaurant who then turned out to be the daughter of a kidnapped scientist, only to lose her to a childhood lover who she'd last seen on a deserted island and who turned out 15 years later to be the leader of the French underground. I know it. Makes perfect sense. It all sounds like some bad movie. We only really hear the end of Slater's line in this montage. With alien hardware. He hits one hand into the other and laughs. Reaction shot. Slater. A slight smile. Dissolve to screen over crowd. Daisy kicks the gun out of Delmonico's hand. Badly. Impossibly, the film cuts to a slightly different, closer angle on Daisy picking up that gun. Considering this was filmed as a one-off, they shouldn't have a second angle. Slater's close-ups being an easy pickup, filmed separately, of course. Daisy fires the gun. Reaction shot, Kit and Daisy. Behind them, Freddy. And Kit is surprised surprisingly comfortable here, watching the scene that was such an ordeal for him in reality. But Hollywood disconnect. This is a completed film with Terry Stricker co-credited as director now, and really, 
the ego boost for Kid is easily stronger than any negative memory he's got of the process. Or maybe Terry Stricter has minded that stuff right out of Kit's head. But that's a wrap on Minute 87 of Bowfinger. <laughs> Beautiful, print it. I've been your host for this minute, Professor Robert E.G. Black. If you want to hear more from me while you're waiting for tomorrow's episode, you can check out any of my previous Movies by Minutes podcasts. Michael Myers Minute, Dave Made a Minute, The Room Minute, Annihilation Minute, Mandy Sucks Minute, Cock and Bull Minute, Two Minutes About Time, Pump Up the Minute, Five Minute Arrival, or the currently running Minutia X Machina, The Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute, and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. You can find any of those on your usual podcatchers, and you can find links to those and more at lemmingdrops.com. You can find the Bowfinger Minute podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play, or at the main site, bowfingerminute.com. If you've got the time, please like, subscribe, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Follow the show on Facebook at Welcome to Mindhead, the Bowfinger Minute Listener Center, and on Twitter at Bowfinger Minute. Join me here next time on the Bowfinger Minute. In the meantime, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together. Sure.